for me, the big pro was, hey, when else am I going to be able to physically live in this place for the next four years? Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of That Vet Life Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Ryan McCauley, and today we have, oh, I have, <laughs> there we go. It's just a solo episode. <laughs> I'm so used to having another guest that I just automatically said we, but it is just me, myself, and I here today, and today I am ecstatic because I am devoting this entire episode to one of the countries that... I have just fallen in love with. I left part of my heart there uh, when I left a few years ago, but to dear old Scotland. Yes, if you did not know by this point, I graduated from the Royal Dick School of Veterinary Studies in Edinburgh, Scotland, and that is where I earned my veterinary degree. And I'm always getting questions about what was it like to study there? And I'm always thinking, man, that's a really broad question. Do you really mean to ask what was it like? Because I just go into a full-on story time about my time there. So I decided to turn that into an episode. So I'm going to cut the intro right here, and we're just going to jump in. All right, let's go. Oh, goodness. I had to take some time to prep for this episode because there are so many little nuances about Scotland, about Edinburgh in particular, because that's where I earned my degree from that I had to make sure I organized myself or else we would be sitting here, or at least I would be sitting here recording and talking to you guys for absolutely hours. So in an essence, to try and just give you the bullet points, I have a list in front of me. We may or may not stay with the plan as you know me. But starting this episode, there's only a few things that could make this absolutely perfect, or at least in this moment. One of them would be to have a nice cup of tea in front of me, a nice cuppa, but quite honestly, it is way too hot where I currently live to have a good cup of hot tea. So instead, I have a sad cup of ice water next to me. Yippee skippy. The other thing that would make this absolutely perfect is if I was recording in Scotland. But of course, that ain't gonna happen because I do have to work and uh, flights to Scotland are a little bit expensive right now. But maybe one day you will have an episode from Scotland. How awesome would that be? Goodness. And I say that because when I talk to people about Scotland or about my time studying in Edinburgh, it just brings up so many good memories. And to be fair, like the fact that my entire time there was spent studying vet school and studying vet school was inherently and intensely anxiety ridden. It was very stressful Vet school in itself does not bring back a ton of warm, fuzzy memories, just because that is the nature of the beast. But the location that I was studying in was what made it all worth it, quite honestly. And I'm just going to hold up there. Like, I'm not going to try and paint this idyllic, beautiful, romanticized version of Scotland. It's not a perfect place by any stretch of the imagination. But for me and I don't know, like the story that came out of it, like it was where I was meant to be. That's just the simplest way to put it. Scotland was where I was meant to be for my veterinary schooling. And I can't describe it in words. Like I just can't communicate how I know this. It's just like this inherent gut feeling that I have. And so like going back to even before vet school, to put it into limelight, like I applied to other schools. I didn't get in but I got into Scotland. So I said, sayonara USA, here we go, going over to Scotland. 
And I went to Scotland. I went to the school sight unseen. So that's not nerve wracking at all to just move transatlantic and uh, settle in a new country for four years when I haven't even visited the school. Well, I had been to the country once before, but it was a few years previous. Like that was like a big stress nugget for me. Like it was not easy moving to Scotland. The whole process just it was not pretty the first six months. Just let's just be honest. But I stuck it out. I said, all right, we're going to take it day by day and see how this goes. And by the time I'd hit my Christmas vacation, I was like, yep, this is where I'm meant to be. This is okay. We're going to be all right here. So let's actually break this down. So in this episode, we are going to talk first about the whole aspect of studying vet school abroad, um, and then also how do you choose a vet school? Is it right for you? And then I just want to talk a bit more about actual like the, the physical um, geography or culture of Edinburgh itself, where the school is, what the schooling is like. So that's the kind of thing that we're going to break down in today's episode. So studying abroad, that is something I feel a lot of us start thinking about when we're maybe in high school and maybe there's like a summer exchange program where you get to do like that summer European trip. I did not do that in high school. Uh, that was just my own personal preference at that time. And then even in undergrad, maybe you start thinking about it because there's usually a study abroad semester. Like I know my undergrad had a semester that would take people to London. And that was a really cool idea. But again, because I was trying to graduate my undergrad a bit early, I decided to just hunker down and finish all of my prereqs um, instead of studying abroad. But when it comes to choosing a vet school abroad, there are a lot of factors that should go into your thought process. One of them is certainly financials. That is one that I really had to sit down and have a deep think about, about what I could afford, what my student loans would look like afterwards. And it was kind of serendipitous, to be quite honest, because my if you're not from the U.S., this may not make full sense, but if you're in the U.S., you'll make, this will make sense to you. But uh, in-state tuition versus out-of-state tuition versus out-of-country tuition definitely something that's going to be different. So for me, my in-state tuition, oh, this is where it gets interesting. My in-state tuition was very similar to what my tuition would be studying in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, that one was a little bit of a bite. I was like, man, my in-state school is expensive. Um, it'd be almost cheaper for me to go out of state to some of the other schools. But when it came down to choosing between these options, I was like, well, if it's going to be about the same, I might as well just go to Scotland. However, big question mark that you also need to think about is the cost of living. So while the tuition may have been very similar, the cost of living was a heck of a lot more. <laughs> so the exchange rate at the time was not friendly. I don't think it's still friendly to be a U.S.-based person studying in Scotland. It's just it's more expensive. Just got to bite the bullet on that one. So really thinking about financials, but also thinking about, okay, these are four years of my life that I get to spend in a certain location. Like, what are the pros and the cons? And they're going to be different for everybody. For, but for me, I had been thinking about trying to find a way to get back to Scotland ever since I had first visited a couple years previous. Like, it was something that was pulling on my heart in a way that I can't even explain. So when the opportunity came up and I got accepted, I said, oh, heck yeah, I'm going there. I'm going to spend my next four years of my life in a country where if any other time in my life I might only be able to get to visit, 
on like a two-week vacation. And that's what I had done previously. And I'd only been there for like 10 days. And that was not enough for me. I was like, I need to actually live here, be a part of it. And so for me, the big pro was, hey, when else am I going to be able to physically live in this place for the next four years? Like that opportunity is not, unless I want to physically move my life right now, like I'm a working veterinarian, that would be a lot harder to do than as a student. So the the choice was clear for me. I was going to Scotland for that. But also, if you're a student and you're thinking about these options, you're like, maybe I want to go and study in the Caribbean, which I have friends who did that, and it was awesome for them. I'm a little bit jealous, but at the same time, not because I don't handle hot weather all that well. <laughs> so that's why another reason Scotland did well for me. But for thinking about studying abroad, it's also this question of you're going to get these experiences, you're going to get to be in these cultures that are so different potentially, from where you grew up and the value that has on your development as a human being, as a communicator, as a veterinarian, like that is indispensable. Like that is an opportunity that if you get it, you should take it by with both hands and go after it. So that's something that you should also be considering. So there's financials, there's cultural experience, there is living away from your family experience, which some people They don't really get that opportunity until they go to vet school, and that's fine, but it's really beneficial in many, many cases to get to go and do that. The other thing to really think about, and this is one that I get a lot, is people are asking, what's the best vet school to go to? And sure, yeah, you can look at the rankings and you can say, this school was number five in the the international rankings, or this school made it into the top 10. But at the end of the day... If your school is, say, like for me, I had to be at a school that was AVMA accredited so that I could easily practice here in the States. So looking for those kind of credentials to be like, yes, it's a vet school that's recognized on in many locations, that's a good thing. But also trying to look at the fact that when you graduate, they're still just going to call you doctor. They're not going to care where you graduated from. The only person who's going to care is you. (laughs) So it really matters more to you than it really does to your future career. Unless, of course, here's the caveat, you know in your heart, like you want to do a very niche area of veterinary medicine. And this school is the only one that has the connections to get from here to here to here. That's the caveat. But in general, it doesn't matter where you go to school for vet school. It matters in the respect of what it's going to do for your long-term career. It matters more for you as an individual where you're going to be because not every school is going to be right for you. It may not have the right culture. It may not have the right environment. For me, I am not a city slicker. I did not want to have to be driving into a big city big, I mean, big, big city. Every single day, I didn't want to have to deal with all of that. I like hiking. I like running. I like travel. And so for me, Edinburgh was perfect. It's not a huge city. Granted, not a fan of Edinburgh during the Fringe Festival. That was way too many people. But that's a side story for another day. But in general, like for me, a lot of these US-based schools, they just, they didn't feel like they were going to be the right fit, even if I did end up there. So that was another thing that I had to think about. And you should really be thinking about if you're listening to this going, hmm, maybe I want to study in the Caribbean. Maybe I want to study in Scotland or in down in England. Like there's a ton of options or Australia. Like there's so many places that you can go and study and gain all of this experience. 
So just really start thinking about those things. But for me and my individual needs and wants, Scotland was ticking a lot of these boxes and I just felt like I was getting pulled farther and farther towards Edinburgh. So again, the opportunity came up, the stars aligned in a way, and I was like, here we go, we're going. So I did not visit before I went there. There is an opportunity if you are a, going to be a student at the Royal Dick School of Veterinary Studies that you can go and visit. You can see the campus. You can meet some of the professors. For me, the first time that I met any of them was during my interview, and that was terrifying on so many levels. Oh, my gosh. It was strange. Like Going into the interview, I was nervous leading up to it, but once I was there, a lot of it melted away. It was weird. Like I was so worried about the interview leading up to it. I was asking my mentor all these questions and then I was there and I met them and it just felt right. I don't know how to explain it any other way. And of course, I passed the interview and I got in because here we are now. But the actual school, when I got to visit that, uh, when I first moved to Edinburgh, I didn't actually go to the campus and for about... I want to say three or four days, because when I first moved there as an international student, um, as a GEP, so that's the other thing. Let's stop, break, rewind there. So there are two tracks that you can take within the Royal Dick School of Veterinary Studies. One of them is called the GEP or Graduate Entry Program, and the other one is the five-year program. So if you have a previous degree, like myself, like most students from the U.S. or Canada, then you would go into the four-year program or the GEP program. So you basically skip that first year that they that the other students would take. If you're coming out of high school or secondary school, you go into the five-year program. That first year is essentially all your prereqs wrapped into one, and then boom, you're off to the races um, years two through five. So there's a little bit of a confusion, and that's why a lot of times when talking about what year are you in, I would just say, I'm a fourth year, <laughs> I'm a final year, this, that, or the other, because it gets kind of confusing between GEP and five-year program. So if you are a GEP student, then you have the option of either moving into student accommodations, which, I mean, for me, I had lived, I've gone through the undergrad route, <laughs> I had lived on my own for a bit, going back into student accommodations, which, um, yeah, that was not... Not my favorite thing to suddenly be squished back into. Essentially, felt like living in a hostel. There was like six of us on one floor. We each had our individual like dorm room. And then there was a communal kitchen and like two bathrooms. And then you're in this giant tall building down in the, not the heart of the city by any means, but more in the student section of the city. It was like very loud, very, a lot of sirens. It's not my ideal place to live. But the cost of living, the benefit of getting to meet and live with some of my other classmates um, and get to know the city a bit before I figured out where I truly wanted to live, like there was a lot of value in that. So kind of like just suck it up, deal with it <laughs> for the first couple months. I don't know if they've changed it, but at one point you had the option of like only being there for three weeks and then moving out or six weeks or something like that. And that's what a lot of my friends did. They're like, I'm only here just so that I can learn where I want to live, not get scammed by these um, Gumtree, which is like the UK equivalent of Craigslist people who are offering places to live. So different options for housing out in there. And I did eventually move away from the city. So I was closer to campus, which worked out really well getting closer to final year. But that's other options you can talk about. So yes, moving to the city, kind of getting to know 
where everything was, visiting the actual campus, that came a few days later after I'd moved in, had gone through some of the orientation stuff, and then they, they bust us out in a, like a private bus the first couple, first two weeks as we're getting our bank set up, getting our phones set up, getting our bus tickets set, like bus passes set up, like all these different things that you have to do when you first move. And so they would private bus us every single morning out to campus to have our classes and then come back. And the first time that you really go out of the city on these buses, like first off, the bus system compared to other places in the U.S. or else places in the world, the Edinburgh bus system is top notch. I mean, some people have different views on that, but I was very impressed, quite honestly. And between the buses and the trains and the planes, it's in the walkability of the city. Like it is a really easy city to get around. Um, The harder part is actually getting out of the city to the campus. But there are buses that go out there multiple times a day. So options are available. So you drive out of the city and suddenly you kind of, you leave the the hustle and bustle away and you start to see that the Pentland Hills, you can see just like it just rolls and it keeps on going and it's gorgeous. And then you're passing sheep fields and then you get out to the Easterbush campus and it's um, like, it is a proper campus. Like they spent a lot of money on this place for good reason. Like it is top notch, the kind of care that they provide and the level of education that they provide. And there's a lot of subtle nuances that they built into it based on the other two um, locations that the school had leading up to this current facility. And so as you roll up, of course, you're driving on the left side of the road. You have Roslyn Institute on your left, and that is the research institute that, if you remember Dolly the Sheep, 1996 is when she was born. She was um, basically developed in the Roslyn Institute, which is now sitting on the Um, left-hand side of the campus. On the right-hand side of the road is the actual teaching building and the small animal hospital. And then still going back on the left side, you have the farm animal and the equine hospital, which the equine hospital, chef's kiss. Oh my gosh, they just rebuilt it. It makes you drool (laughs) if you want to go into equine medicine, Uh, just compared to what the building was before and then other facilities that I've seen. It is is pretty top-notch, to be fair. If you want to go into equine medicine, highly recommend. So, uh, yeah, visiting the school, fell in love, like, love the setup of the whole place. They have so many different areas. Like, there's basically two main lecture halls in the building, and then there are a bunch of smaller classrooms that are out there, and then there are the clinical skills lab, um, there's the library, there's a lot of study space that is built into the facility, because obviously you can't just, it's really hard to go to class go home, go to class, go home. Like, it's really hard to do that. You're basically, once you're at the campus, you're there for the day. Just kind of deal with that. Because otherwise, it's a 40-minute bus ride back to the city where everybody typically lives. So that's like one of the big downsides is the length of time that it takes to get there. But location-wise, the campus is actually situated right at the foot of the Pentland Hills, which are these um, hills. (laughs) for lack of a better word, that are just gorgeous. They're amazing for hiking. If you have a good chunk of time and you're like, I'm actually not going to study this time, you can go and hike up into one of the Pentland Hills between classes and come back. Like that is a thing you can do. I have friends who have done it. One of them who's a little bit crazier than me would actually go and run them. I'm not that crazy of a hill runner. So it was not something I did. But anyway, it's something you can do. The option is available. So that is the campus in itself, like it's gorgeous. It's amazing. I do love it. It's far away from the city. That's a big downside. 
But if you're looking on a map, you basically go to Pentland Hills, Midlothian. And then another little side tick is, oh gosh, the name of the movie is escaping my brain. But anyway, Roslyn Chapel. I'm thinking Angels and Demons, but it's the book before it. Why can't I think of it? Oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. Anyway, Roslyn Chapel is right around there. And that's where they filmed for the movie of the movie that I can't remember the name of. Oh my gosh. Oh, goodness. But that's not what this podcast is about. So you can go look it up yourself. So that's where it is located. It's south of the city. So then let's go back and look at the actual history of the school a bit more before we talk about the studies. And the Royal Dick School of Veterinary Studies was founded by William Dick. There is a statue of him holding a horse hoof in the new building if you wanted to see what his face looked like. Um, It was founded in 1893. Initially, it was on Clyde Street, which is down in the heart of Edinburgh City. And then in 1906, it moved to Summer Hall, which is this gorgeous, gorgeous building. And that's where they had, that's where the school was. They did a lot of uh, medicine there. (laughs) And side note, when they were developing the new vet school, they had a specification for the path lab, basically when they were bringing in like a dead animal to do an necropsy on. The doorway and the crane had to be big enough to bring in a giraffe because they tried to at Summer Hall and they couldn't fit it through the doorway. So fun side story for you <laughs> as to why it's developed the way that it is. And then Summer Hall, was, uh, they outgrew that with the number of students that they were basically bringing in. And in 2011 is when the Easterbush campus officially opened. And that is where I studied. So Clyde Street, Summer Hall, Easterbush. Summer Hall is still there if you wanted to go and visit. Um, it has been turned into, for lack of a better word, hipster, distillery, arts and craft, uh, not arts and craft, oh goodness, um, arts uh, facility. I don't know a good way to describe it. Someone else probably has a much better, much um, more appealing way to describe it, but it's gorgeous. I love to go and visit. There's a pub in the back called the Royal Dick, and basically one of my favorite drinks there is just a G&T. They put an elderflower tonic and a slice of grapefruit in it. It's very basic, very refreshing if you have to order a drink from there, but they also do some really great food. The rugby team that I was a part of for the vet school, we would go and have our match teas there afterwards, um, and it was just a really great place. And ironically, well, not ironically, but well-situated, it was like right behind where the student accommodations were that I stayed in uh, my first year. If you were trying to figure out my path through the city, that's kind of creepy if you were. But that's Summer Hall. You can visit. It's gorgeous. It's right next to the meadows, which is this big grassy area with beautiful cherry blossoms that bloom every year. And it's just very picturesque. If you look up pictures of Edinburgh City, you are bound to come across photos of that area. And oh gosh, it just brings back so many good memories just thinking of like walking through all of these things with you guys. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at Venex. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. 
To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. So to keep us moving forward, one thing that I was reading back through and I was kind of looking at the history of the vet school is, yes, William Dick founded this school. He had a thriving practice in the city. And they started building out, having more tutors, having more students. And the graduates of some of those early classes, they went on to found schools elsewhere. So places like Glasgow, Ireland, Liverpool, Canada, U.S. There's a connection to Cornell right there. Woot! That's exciting. And then even Australia. So this school is... um, it's got deep roots, some really deep roots in the rest of the veterinary profession. And it's really cool if you get the chance to go and read into it. So other cool history things. We already talked about Dolly the sheep, but obviously she's no longer around because that would be nearly 20 and 30 years, roughly close to rough. Uh, if I'm doing my math somewhat right. She was 1996 anyway. But her taxidermy body is, as creepy as it sounds, um, is kept at the National Museum of Scotland, which is downtown. And you can go and see her. She's on a um, rotating pedestal. <laughs> She's got some special lights on her, and they even put some fake poop at her feet. So you can go and um, take a look at her. She's just kind of cute to see. And if you wanted to see a little bit more of a history... But other things that would be really interesting to go and see about Edinburgh City is that it's like a protected historic landmark in itself. So a lot of the old architecture is there. They do a really good job of keeping it up. The city planning wasn't great. If you compare Edinburgh to Glasgow, Glasgow is like on a grid. Everything makes sense. Edinburgh was like, well, let's just put a side street here, but make it one way and then make it turn completely right and all the way back around and twist up to the upper level of the city. Yeah, that makes sense. And the first couple times I was in Edinburgh, I honestly, I felt like I was going to get lost because I was like, where the heck am I going? Yeah, it's once you get to know where you're going, it, it does make sense. And that allows you to find some of the lesser tourist, um, is that a touristed, <laughs> less visited by tourist sections of the city. Because everybody knows about Arthur C., Holyrood Park, the crags, the castle, going up to Calton Hill, the Prince's Street Gardens. And those are the places that in the peak travel season. So right about now, I would say May to September, it can get really, 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 really busy in the city. But if you wanted to go and find some awesome photos, the places that I mentioned are great. Going down through the Venel, which takes, which lands you in the grass, in grass market, looking up at the castle. Mary's Milk Bar is just to your right as you come out of the Venel. Amazing gelateria. (laughs) Cannot recommend it enough. And then I never actually made it to there, but a lot of my friends with the Royal, uh, went to the Royal Botanic Gardens. You can go up to Leith. If you've been on Instagram, then there's like My Little Edinburgh or oh, there's another one that I can't remember a name of. But they also photograph like Circus Lane quite a bit. And there's just a lot of cute little side streets. The people of Edinburgh are honestly very pleasant, very nice, at least compared to Glasgow, which I don't want you to think that I'm hating on Glasgow. It's just a different culture. It's different people. It has its own beauty in its own way. But I prefer Edinburgh. Like that's that's where my heart is. 
So visiting Edinburgh, like it is very walkable. And for me, as you know, I like to run. One of the best ways for that I like to explore a new city is to run it. And so I could easily do like a half marathon distance going from where I lived and then going up um, like Blackford Hill, the braids, and then I come down through like Marchmont area and then coming back up and going back down. There's a lot of hills, if you didn't know, in Edinburgh. It's actually, there's a old or... I think they're, yeah, um, extinct volcanoes. So that's where all the hills come from. But yeah, running down, coming back up, going through the meadows. And then I'd run along the waters of Leith, which is a canal way that takes you, um, I think it goes all the way to Glasgow or something. But I obviously didn't go that far. But I would take it and go all the way to Leith. And then I'd run around the actual city. And you could get quite a few miles. Um, And if you ask my parents, who I didn't tell them how far we were walking when they came to visit. I was like, we're just going to go and go see this other place. And they're like, how far is it? I was like, ah, just a mile or two. And then the next time they'd be like, how far is that next thing? Oh, it's just a mile or two. And by the end of the day, I'd made them walk 10 miles. I'm so sorry if you're listening to this episode. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you walk that many miles. But again, it's a very walkable city. You can get around without too much issue. I think on those days, we only used our bus passes to get from where I lived to the city and then back. Um, the rest of the time we walked or we took a train out to um, farther towns. So that is a quick, and I mean quick, rundown of the city, places that you can visit. I mean... You have to do things like go and see Sunrise on Arthur's Seat. You have to go to Edinburgh Castle. You, let's see, well, I guess, yeah. And you have to go to Leith. You have to go to the coast and you have to go see these other things. You can always jump on a train, go up to Inverness. Um, you can jump on a train and go and try and find the Loch Ness Monster if that suits you. You won't find him, I promise. You can try, <laughs> but you won't find them. Then you can also jump on a train and go all the way down. Like you can honestly take, I think it's like a four hour train down to London. Like everything is so accessible and it's comparatively, if you look at the size of the UK, it's very small <laughs> compared to the United States. And so guesstimating distances and travel times, it gets a little bit I don't know how to, it's just hard to compare. <laughs> Suddenly you're like, everything is so close together. But that's just because everything is, it is truly a lot closer together. So that is the city. And so the last little bit that I wanted to cover was the actual course that you go through. So we talked a bit about this difference between the GEP and the five-year program, but actually going through like what happens. So for me, I, my experience is with the GEP program. So that's what I'll speak to. And essentially, when you're in the GEP program, there's not too many of you. I think we had like 30 or 40 of us in my class. Let me think about that. Yeah, I think somewhere around that number. Um, it changed over the years. But you essentially spend your first year and a half with that cohort of students. And like I said, you're probably living with them in the housing um, for that first year. And then you go to school with them. And so you pretty much just only see those people. You don't really interact with the five-year course kids at that time. And at that time, they do feel like kids because there's like a four-year, four to five-year at least age gap between you guys. But honestly, once you hit that second, third, fourth, and even into final year, like that gap just goes away and like we're all in the same playing field. But at the start, you're like, oh my goodness, these kids are so much younger than me. They have so much less life experience. They're just out of high school and I've been through undergrad and I've lived on my own. And like, it just feels like a wider gap. But 
those first year, year and a half, like they're pretty much didactics, but they're trying to get you hands-on experience right from the start. So you're doing a lot of animal handling courses um, with the equine unit, with the exotics unit, which that's the other thing. Edinburgh has a really awesome, or at least when it did when I was there, exotics unit. And that's something that even on rotations, like you'll have a week in the exotics hospital, like working with their rabbits and their guinea pigs and their snakes and the other random things that come from the zoo. I think we had meerkats at one point. I placed a catheter on a chicken, like all these different things happen uh, or can happen if you just believe. Anyway, going into your rotations. But the first couple of years are really just didactics. Then you're getting into cadaver labs. You spend a lot of time smelling like formaldehyde, um, getting hungry because you're smelling formaldehyde or its derivatives, um, which is that even a thing? Like, is that a real thing? I've been told at one point that formaldehyde just like encourages hunger. I don't know. Side note. So then once you are getting into more of the end of second into third year of the GEP program, which would be the third and fourth year of the five-year program. And yeah, that's when you're starting to get a lot more, like that's when you're doing your dog and cat courses, which is this huge, huge thing, which covers like each of the body systems in order. And then you're doing more of your surgical training or at least surgical training in the clinical skills lab. And this is something that It's different for each school, but at the University of Edinburgh, like if you look in the state schools, they will have like a surgery rotation where you'll have a group of four people and you'll each do like a spay or a neuter on one of the rescue dogs that comes through. And like we really didn't have that. One of the unique things about the schooling that I went through is that you're given a lot more weeks of externship availability. And the goal of that is to help you figure out like where you need to get your experience um, and what you want to do because we don't track. That's the other thing. So if you are someone who's like, I never want to do surgery, I just want to do research, you can take all of those externship weeks and you can just go and do research. Like you don't have to do surgery. Um, Yes, you'll need to know the knowledge in order to pass the course and the exams, but you don't actually have to do the surgery if you don't want to. Whereas someone like me, I was like, man, I want a lot of surgery experience. So I went and did um, like dog and cat spay and neuter programs. I just jumped in wherever I could to try and get those experiences. And in that way, you get to track because then again, if you want to do equine, you can do equine externships. Or if you just want to do farm, like it really comes down to what you want to do and what you want to make of those externship weeks. So that's just something to note. In talking about the externships, like I said, in the first couple years, sorry, I'm jumping around here a little bit. So we're going back to the first year. One of the requirements in your animal handling externships is lambing. So you're required to spend two weeks on a sheep farm and just kind of getting down and dirty and, and figuring out what it takes to be a farmer. And this is something that I really value is because you are expected to work alongside them, learn what their struggles are, learn what the things that they value are, because that's what's really important is learning those communication skills, learning those people skills of the people that are going to be your clients in a couple of years. And so for me, like I had a great time lambing. I loved it. I talk about it way too much when people ask me about it. And I went back to the same farm like two or three years running. I know other friends who had a very crappy experience in lambing and they said, I never want to do this again. And that's absolutely fine. It's kind of sad that they had terrible experiences. But for me, like that was that was the best. It's like two weeks in April and then you come back and you take 
your animal husbandry exam. But yeah, so I mean, I was on a farm with, what was it, like 800 to 1,000 or something, maybe more head of sheep. And so I was there from sunup to sundown, pulling lambs and moving sheep and just learning what it takes. I got so strong during that time. It was incredible. It really helped my rugby tackling skills, trying to catch sheep that were bigger than I am, quite honestly. Got a few bruises, almost got a concussion, stories for another day, <laughs> kind of that kind of thing. But like, if you want to do lambing, like go to a UK school, it's kind of a, a prereq and everyone is required to do it. So things to consider. Oh, gosh. So yes, the rest of the course, I feel like, gosh, I always get the question of, do you feel like your veterinary education prepared you for life outside of vet school? And I always have to dig a little bit deeper when people ask that question, because I'm like, in what way? Is prepared meaning that you are fully capable to just spread your wings and soar without anybody's help on that first day? Because if that's what you're expecting, then oh heck no, that is, you're never going to get that out of any vet school. And so I always try and preface it by saying that vet school is there to give you the skills and knowledge in order to survive. Like that is all vet school has the time to do, quite honestly. There's so much information that you're learning, like compared, I think back to when like vet school, like Edinburgh vet school was still like starting out in summer hall. So we're talking like the beginning of the 1900s here, like 1906. And the level of knowledge that they had available to teach is minuscule compared to the vastness and depth of knowledge that we are now required to understand across all species. Because again, we don't track. So, and also back then, they were really just focused on farm animal. So nowadays, like there's so much information that you need to learn. And then we're also focusing on the financial and the communication and other clinical skills that you have to learn. And so, no, no, you're not going to be prepared when you graduate vet school. Do I feel like I was set up for success? Yes. I Do I feel like I was given the basic knowledge and skills to know where to find information, how to ask questions, how to figure out and find answers to the questions that I was given? Yes. So in that aspect, yes, I do feel like my veterinary education prepared me to be prepare me for life outside of vet school. That's always a question that you can't just answer straight out. You have to kind of dig into a little bit deeper and give a little bit more definition to. My favorite courses, ooh, I feel like I, I really enjoyed learning about soft tissue surgery, internal medicine. That was my jam. And then a little bit of theriogenology. Like that was that was pretty cool. But that was mostly because I had come from doing an internship um, in equine medicine before going to vet school. So I felt like I had a little bit of a leg up in that area. But in general, I think internal medicine and surgery and small animal was, was really my area. The more challenging sides of vet school, let's see. I mean, how far away it was from the city was kind of hard. Being away from family, that's the other side of being studying abroad is that I'm so far away from my family. And I was not the best about communicating back home. It'd be like a text or something like like once a week. <laughs> and they'd be like, I'm still alive. Everything's okay. Um, talk to you later type of thing. And that's that was kind of on my own fault. Didn't mean it to be that way. But um, being away from family was definitely a bit hard. And honestly, the exams were not the hardest part, partly because of how they're set up. The grading curve is different where, I mean, C's get degrees, woot woot. <laughs> not to say that you should not try your hardest, but 
the way that they grade the exams is different. How the exams are set up is way different. We only would have, like, we'd have, like, an MCQ, which really didn't count for much, in an, like, sprinkled throughout the semester. But I didn't really feel like I needed to study too hard for them. And then when the exams came around, like, you only had an exam at the end of each semester. Granted, it was, like, a beast of an exam. It was, like, three or four hours. And it had uh, multiple choice and short answer and just it was really hard and it covered everything that you had learned up until that point. So rather than doing like an exam every two weeks on the material you were just given, it's like um, we're not going to examine you until the very, very end. So good luck. <laughs> so that really changed how my study uh, method needed to be because back in like undergrad, you would just study like chunks of material, like little chunks here and there, take the exam, kind of push it out of your brain, learn the new chunk, take the exam, push it out of your brain. Whereas this, like you had to come up with a method that allowed you to constantly refresh information um, every couple weeks because it would be like two or three months before you could really get examined on it. So if you tried to push it all off and then study it within the last three weeks, like you were screwed. (laughs) I mean, maybe there were some people that made it work, but for me, that would not have worked. So figuring out how I could set up my study schedule, make my study guide so that when study week, which is you get the week prior to your exam off um, to study, um, that everything was kind of set up and I wasn't learning the material again, but I was able to refresh it and hopefully stick it in my brain long enough to take the exam. So that's another thing that's a little bit different, but I feel like I'm I kind of rambled here and took up a lot of time. Look, well, took up a lot more time than I originally intended. But in talking about all of these things, like I said in the beginning, it just brings up a lot of warm, fuzzy memories. Studying in Edinburgh was, it was incredible. I wish I could go back any every day. And maybe one day I will. But in the meantime, I wanted to be able to answer some of those questions that you guys have been asking about what it was like to study there for the actual schooling, what the city was like, what the culture was like. And hopefully I answered some of your questions. So if you have any further ones, feel free to to shoot them my way. Happy to answer them. And maybe there will be a part two, maybe someday recorded in Scotland. That would be amazing. But until next time, y'all. See ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vetxinternational.com and enroll in the VetX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Vet Life.